Hey, this is Lee Snow. I'm the preacher of Warm Springs Road Church of Christ, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for downloading today. I hope it inspires you. I hope it builds your faith. I hope it gives you a perspective to see what God wants to do in your life, and I hope it challenges you to a faithful tomorrow. All right, go ahead and open up your Bibles if you have them to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. If you don't, there should be one on the pew in front of you somewhere. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Before we get started, I have a bone to pick with every single one of y'all. I don't spit that much when I preach, but I got like six rows of splashes on up here. Anyways, I'm going to come in one day and y'all are going to find the last ten pews Locked off, and all y'all are going to have to sit in each other's laps on the front view. Anyways, all right, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16. We'll be there in just a little bit. Um, we're not going to go there right off the bat because we need to do some groundwork before we get there. What's the first question that comes to mind uh, when you start to read a Bible passage? What if you're, if you're going to study a Bible passage and read it intently, you know, there's different types of reading. You have the reading where you're just reading it because maybe it's your, you have an app on your phone and it reminds you every Sunday that you should read a Bible verse. And so you read a single Bible verse. Maybe that's just in order to get you started in the morning or something like that. Then there's another type of reading where you're reading it kind of like the newspaper where you're just reading maybe longer passages of scripture, but you're not really intently reading them. You're you're more going over the words and getting the gist of it. And then there's the type of reading that, that most of us do when, say, we, um, we have a, a question that we want to a- answer from the Scriptures, or we want to spend some more in-depth time studying it. So when you're doing that, what's the question that you ask yourself most often? Most of the time, I'm going to bet that it's something along the lines of, what can I get out of this? What does this teach me? What should I be doing because of this passage? What It, it all revolves around us. Well, this morning, um, I, want, I want to give you a couple tips on how to read the Bible, how to study the Bible, because really and truly, if we start with the Scriptures and just try to see what it teaches us, we will miss the majority of what it actually says. Okay, So, number one, If you're going to read the Bible intently, you're going to learn what it actually means, you're going to have to ask this question. What does this passage teach me about God's nature? What does this passage teach me about God's nature? The Bible is an interesting book. It is a book where, um, well, there's there's a lot of history in the Bible. There's a lot of similes and metaphors and hyperbole and those sorts of things, which coincidentally, we'll talk about this afternoon. But the reason the Bible was written was not to try to give you a step-by-step example or a step-by-step instruction book on how to get to heaven. That's not the reason 
why it was written. You might have heard the B-I-B-L-E stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. Okay, I, I get the sentiment behind that, but the Bible was not written in order to just get you to heaven. It was written because God needed mankind to understand his history and his nature and his people and so forth. And so most of the Bible has no bearing on us. Most of the scriptures, there's 31,102 verses in the King James Version of the Bible. Most of those don't apply to us. Most of them come from the Old Testament. Most of them come from, even in the New Testament, are uh, passages that are recounting history and those sorts of things. And so if we take those verses and we say, what does this verse mean to me? What does this verse teach me? The problem is, what we end up doing is, um, well, we say nothing. We move to the next verse. I mean, have, you, have, you, have you ever done that? You, you read a Bible passage and maybe you're asking, what's the application? What can I learn from this? And um, you come to find out that really there, there, there may not be any application to learn from it. Not every Bible verse is written to give us some sort of application. Sure, first, uh, Romans 15 says that the things that were written before the New Testament, that the Old Testament was written for our learning, that we could have patience and comfort of the Scriptures, and because of that we could have hope, sure. But not every verse has an application. For instance, maybe you're looking at the Old Testament and you see uh, the passage where, um, I don't know, where a certain king moves the... Ark of the Covenant from one city to another. Well, what kind of application does that have to us? Nothing. What, what about when the, the verses in the Old Testament where you have the people of Israel sacrificing to unknown gods, sacrificing to idolatrous gods? What, what application does that have to me? Well, maybe we can string along some kind of application that says that, well, it's, it tells me that I shouldn't, I shouldn't offer sacrifices to God. Well, that's, that may be the overall, the overarching teaching of the Bible, but that specific passage, that specific verse doesn't say that. What it says is this person went and sacrificed this to this God. So, number one, question number one. If you're going to read the Bible, ask this question. What does this teach me about God's nature? Because that's the general reason for the writing of, the, of both Testaments, Old and New. What does this verse or this passage, what is this book, what does this Testament teach me about the nature of God Almighty? Because before you get to any kind of application, you have to figure out what was God trying to tell me about him? In this passage, you know, every single word, every single verse of the Bible, whether it is written by mechanical inspiration, where God was telling the writers what to write down, or if it's written by in some other sort of inspiration that God used throughout the, the Old and New Testaments, every single word is there for a reason. Every single word has, has meaning and purpose, and if not, God would never have allowed it to exist for the last, well, for the New Testament, 1900 and some odd years, and for the Old Testament, somewhere around 2500 at the, at the latest. And then you have um, the, the book of Job written sometime directly after the flood. And so God wouldn't allow these books to exist this long 
if those words were meaningless to us. So number one, what does this passage or this verse teach me about the nature of God? Number two, what does this passage or verse teach me about the plan of God? What does this verse teach me about God's plan? There's an interesting thing that happens in the in the Old Testament, especially. Um, the old preachers used to call it the the, the scheme of redemption, or uh, one one famous preacher said that there is a blood-stained thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation. That everything in the Bible happened for a specific reason. You get to say the book of Obadiah where he's, he's rebuking Edom for the way that they have treated the Israelites. Well, what does that teach me about God's nature? Well, it teaches me a lot about God's nature, but, but it also teaches me a lot about his plan. It teaches me that even through the Old Testament, when you see why is God putting up with all of these different murmurings and all these different complainings from the Israelites in the book of, uh, <clears throat> sorry, in the book of Numbers, why... Why is he putting up with all of these false ideas and over and over again? They just keep going in this cycle in the judges where they they follow God for a little while and then they get they get apathetic because they're used to it. They they get used to following God and so they decide that they're going to start slipping and they start doing so. And then he has to bring in a judge and bring them back and so forth. Why does God keep allowing this to happen? And the reason is because there's been one plan of God throughout all of humanity, throughout the entire existence of the creation, God has been working to bring salvation to mankind. And since Jesus died on the cross, he hasn't been working to bring salvation because we have it now. So what's he been doing? He's been working to bring us to him because of salvation. So you have the plan of God. Question number one, what does this teach me about God's nature? Question number two, what does it teach me about God's plan? Question number three, what does this teach me about God's people? Raise your hand, all right? I, I, I usually don't do this, but raise your hand if you were there on the day of Pentecost. Yeah, exactly. Raise your hand if you were there when Jesus ascended into heaven. Raise your hand if you were there when the disciples thought that Peter had been killed too. And so they're praying because they're scared to death. Peter's in jail, and they think there's no way he's going to get out. If he's even alive still, there's no way he's going to get out. None of us have experienced any of those things. None of us experienced the persecution that the Christians went through in Acts 7 and 8 at the hands of Paul the or Saul of Tarsus, later become Paul the Apostle. None of us went through the feelings of the, of the people in Pergamum and Ephesus and Sardis, and Thyatira, when they're, they're looking at a government, a Roman government that is going to quickly start getting worse, that they, they can see that Rome is already hateful against Christianity, but it's going to get worse, and what's going to happen? None of us have experienced these things. And those people who were in those experiences weren't able to look at it the way we were. For instance, the entire book of Job. You know that we know things that Job never knew either while it was happening or afterwards. We have no reason to believe that Job ever understood what happened in Job 1 and 2. That he never learned. 
that the reason why all of these things happened to him was because Satan had gone to God and said, put your money where your mouth is. I think you're taking care of him when you shouldn't be. Job never learned these things. So question number one, what does it teach me about God's nature? Question number two, what does it teach me about God's plan? Question number three, what does it teach me about God's people? Leave the application to the very end and ask the question, what would this person be feeling like? What would, what would the, the Corinthian church be feeling like when, when they've, you know, they've been kind of left on their own for years and they're in the middle of what would today be considered sin city like Las Vegas only on steroids. And they're trying to figure out a way to live faithfully for Christianity. Put yourself into their position and ask, what would this verse have meant to these people who were reading it? What would this passage have taught the people that were reading it? And then and only then can you ask the question, what does this passage mean about my life? Because until you understand what it teaches you about the nature of God and how he fulfilled his plan and how his people understood that passage, or better yet, how his people felt when they read that passage. Until you know those three things, you can't ask yourself, what can I get out of this? Because none of us have been there. None of us have, none of us have been able to walk in a garden with God like they could in Genesis 1-3. through None of us have been able to see the miraculous cloud and fire that led the Israelites through the wilderness. None of us were able to see what happened on Pentecost or what happened in the early churches when, when miracles started to begin and started to happen and all of these wonderful, amazing things that God was doing. None of us got to see those. So before we try to ask ourselves what can we get out of it, let's ask those questions. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, let's put this to practice. Let's do these four questions in 1 Corinthians 16 and see if it opens up anything. And the reason why I picked 1 Corinthians 16, uh, 1 through 4, is, is basically this. Anytime you read 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4, what do you think about? The giving, right? The contribution, the thing that we just did. Some churches do it after the Lord's Supper. Some do it at a different part of the worship service. We take these verses and we immediately jump to, what does this teach me? If, if you were to ask a child, hopefully, you could ask a child, what passage tells us that we should give on Sundays? Chances are they're going to come up with 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, right? That As I've given short order to the churches in Galatia, even so you should do upon the first day of the week, every man should lay by in store as God has prospered him, that there be no collections when I come. Well, what does that mean to me? That means that I should give on Sundays. Okay. But let's step back for just a minute and let's ask our questions and let's see if it opens up anything in 1 Corinthians 16 that we didn't notice beforehand. Question number one, what does this teach me about God's nature? Well, let's just read the passage first before we get there. 1 Corinthians 16, verse number one. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do upon the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside, put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredited by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable, 
that I should go also. They will accompany me there. We focus on verses 1 and 2, but oftentimes we forget about verses 3 and 4 and what they have to say. So let's jump back and let's ask our questions. What does this passage, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4, teach me about the nature of God? Right before this, if you have your Bibles open to an actual physical Bible, it may be on the same page. Right before this, 1 Corinthians 15 is the famous passage that talks about resurrection. It talks about what's going to happen at the judgment day, how we are going to be given new bodies, and we are going to go to live with God for all of eternity in a place that He has prepared for us that we call heaven. But 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57 says this, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And then he says, now concerning the collection of the saints, upon the first day of the week, I want you all to gather together and I want you to pool your money together so that when I get there, there will be no collections. What does this teach me about the nature of God? Well, 1 Corinthians 15 is a deep theological passage. And so if you're reading 1 Corinthians 16, you're going to have read that just before this. And you're going to learn all these wonderful things about how God is wanting us to come back and come to him. And, and how he's given us victory. And that death has no sting. It has no power over us anymore. Sure, we still pass away. Every single one of us will. Um, one of my old, my old teachers used to say, if you live long enough, you'll die. No matter what, eventually we're all going to leave this earth. But 1 Corinthians 16 teaches me about the nature of God that, that He is one of victory, 1 Corinthians 15, and that His victory supersedes everything. It's not just... So much, so much attention is placed on the, the victory in Jesus Christ over eternity. That we're going to live with Him for all of eternity. And we forget that the redemptive role of Christ is not just in eternity. That, that the power and loving nature of God that is going to resurrect us and take us to Him is also the, the power and nature of God that oversees our day-to-day. -day. So 1 Corinthians 16 teaches me about the nature of God, that He is victorious and He wants us to be victorious over every aspect of life. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 16 He says... As everyone has prospered. Well, what happens if I haven't prospered? If, I, if I'm in Corinth and I haven't prospered, maybe I didn't get a paycheck this week. Maybe, maybe I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't have enough money to even survive. What, what should I do then? I always use this illustration of a woman named Betty Chadwick who lived in Wilson, Arkansas. Well, she actually lived just outside of, of Wilson, um, Miss Betty didn't have any money at all. And she came to church one day and I preached on giving and she was, she was crying. Usually, usually, when you preach on giving, you don't see crying. What you usually see is uh, the men do this. Instead of sitting like this and they sit up, they kind of slump back and they, they kind of, you know, hide themselves a little bit. And the ladies, yeah, that, that thing flips. And the ladies, when you preach on giving... 
usually do this. They cross their hands, and they sit there quietly and politely, and they wait till you get done, right? <clears throat> Miss, Miss Betty was crying, and after worship service, I went up to her, and I said, Miss Betty, what's, what's wrong? Did I say something that, that upset you or something? I mean, it was like I had preached on seeing your loved ones in heaven one day or something. She said, I, I just don't have anything. What do I do? And I said, Miss Betty, you're here, right? Yeah. All right. You, you're, the, you're one of the hardest working Christians we have at this church. Okay. She was too humble to say yes. So, okay. And I said, sometimes you prosper in ways that, that aren't financial, but the teaching in 1 Corinthians 16 is that the nature of God is victorious. 1 Corinthians 15. And so because of that, she understood 1 Corinthians 16 just a little more. All right, so question number two. Number one, what does it teach me about God's nature? Question number two, what does it teach me about God's plan? Well, in order to do this, we're going to have to go to a couple more passages. So hang, hang with me real quick. Acts 24, verse 17. After several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. First, uh, Romans 15, verse 25 and 26. At present... However, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution to the poor or for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. Romans 15, when it says Macedonia and Achaia, uh, that's that's Corinth. What does it teach me about the plan of God? Well, if you look at the other passages that that go alongside 1 Corinthians 16, he tells them to get some money together and then in Romans 15, he says, uh, right now, while I'm writing this, I've got the money from Corinth, and I've got the money from Macedonia, and I'm taking it to Jerusalem. And then in Acts 24, he says, a few years after that, I decided that I was going to do that. You can see the overall picture. And while it may not teach us anything about the nature of God, it teaches us about the plan of God, because there's one illustration in the New Testament that shows the connectivity of the church more than any other. And that is the giving. And that not specifically is this type of giving where Paul is taking this money to Jerusalem. The plan of God is clear in the New Testament that the church would be connected so much so that when there were needs, they would give of their needs. When they would take care of each other, they would take care of each other to the utmost extent. In fact, Galatians chapter 10 and verse uh, 2 and verse 10 only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So the plan of God, 1 Corinthians 16 teaches me, that the plan of God is, a, is of a church that is connected and that's willing to work for each other. Question number three, what does it teach me about God's people? Well, it teaches me that they did that. That God's people did do exactly what God had planned. You know, the early church wasn't perfect. So many people um, get kind of aggressive when you say that we're trying to restore the New Testament church. We just try to be like the Christians in the first century. Oh, so you mean you want to have adulterous relationships like in 1 Corinthians 5, or you want to hate each other like in 1 Corinthians 11, or you want to, you want to not understand marriage like in 1 Corinthians 7, or may, maybe you want to take other gospels like in Galatians chapter 1. They get so aggressive when you say that because they don't understand. The church has never been perfect. It never will be perfect. When passages teach us about the plan, of, the plan of God and the people of God, understand that sometimes 
the plan of God gets stopped because the people aren't perfect. So sometimes we will see that God wants something to happen and it can't happen at that point. Sometimes we'll see that that the church was charged, Matthew chapter 28, Mark chapter 16, to take the Bible, take the gospel, no, not the Bible, but the gospel, into every single part of the world. But then things happened to where they had to go into hiding. And so it took longer than it should have taken. But they were able to do it. Colossians says that they were able to fulfill that command. So before you ask what it has to do about me, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4, what does this have to teach me? Question number four. It teaches me that we should give. That if we're going to fit the, the example of the early church, if we're going to fit the example of the nature of God, if we're going to fulfill the nature of God in Him being victorious and powerful over our entire lives and not just in the resurrection, if we're going to be like the early Christians in their, in their faithfulness, we're not trying to be like the early Christians in their sins, although some of us and most of us still, still give way to some of those at times. What we're trying to do is be like the early Christians in their faithfulness. And so if we're going to do that, if we're going to fulfill the plan, if we're going to be like the nature of God, we're going to be people that give when there's needs. That Christians are going to be a people that are willing to do whatever it takes. Second Corinthians chapter 8 says that <clears throat> he talks about the people of Macedonia, how they didn't have any money. But they gave more than they should have. And it even gives the implication that, that when Paul was talking to the people of Macedonia, he said, this is enough. And the people of Macedonia said, no, it's not. Here, take this. And Paul said, no, I can't take that. You don't, you don't have it. Here, take this. They begged him. They pleaded with him. Please take this money. If we're going to fit that example. We're going to be givers. 1 Corinthians 16 is often one of the passages where we just jump immediately to the application and we don't look at any of the surrounding text. We don't look at any of the implications in the plan of God or in the people, in the hearts of the people that were trying to follow God. And so next time you read a Bible passage, don't just jump to what does this teach me about me? What, what does this mean that I should change? What does this mean that I should fix or that I should continue in? Or what does this mean that this morning we talked about if we're, if we're going to be with God for all of eternity, it could mean a lot of change. It could mean changing our entire religion. It could mean changing our personalities. It could mean changing our outlook on life and how we, how we live and how we, how we interact with other people. Before we jump to that, try to figure out what does it teach me about God's nature, about who He is? Why did He write this? What would those people have heard and thought of when they wrote when he when they read this when they heard this what did that mean to them what 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 did they do because of it and then everything else kind of falls in place you don't have to jump through hoops and try to figure out well what is you know what does this passage mean to me there may not be any application in that passage outright there's no there's no application in the historical account of Paul on Mars Hill preaching to those people in Athens on the Areopagus. And he says, Men and brethren, I believe that you're very religious. I believe that you have all of these gods, and I see that you have a god uh, that's to the unknown god, and I want to tell you about those. 
in the exact words, in, in, in the words of that text, there, are, there is no application for us. But once we ask the question, what does it teach us about his nature and about his plan and about the people of God, then the application falls right in line, right? That we should be people who are following God regardless of what other people are doing. That we should, we should, when we see something wrong, we should be willing to say it. And that if we're following God in ways that he never prescribed, we should be willing to fix it. It's easy to just read the Bible and try to get what you want out of it. Let's try to not do that. Let's try to not change the Bible into what we want it to say. But let's change us to what he wanted to say. If you want to be baptized for the remission of your sins this morning and become a Christian in the name of Jesus Christ, have your sins washed away, be a part of the church, the church that is not perfect, never has been perfect, it never will be perfect, but that's the point of the church. If you want to be a part of the body of Christ, we're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement for you, and you can let us know while we do that.